Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. And over the last several weeks, we've been going through this sermon series called Unshakable, trying to be reminded by Peter, who wrote to Christians, wrote to men and women of faith and said, be reminded how to stand firm and keep the faith and push yourself forward because of Jesus. He wrote this letter to say, you must maintain the mission. And for today's text, he gives us something and we're going to learn something that's a little bit hard to embrace. He says, Christians, followers of Jesus, prepare to endure suffering. Prepare to endure sufferings. We must be ready to suffer for the good that we'll do. Let's think about that for a moment. Peter, <clears throat> he's writing to, the, to believers all across the region. And he's trying to encourage them. He goes through lots of different realities of this is who Jesus is. Let's remember the good news. Let's remember the gospel. He reminds them to be prepared for action. He reminds them above everything else, seek holiness. Seek to live in such a way that is uh, dedicated to the Lord, that is done in such a way where God is pleased with your life. Pursue holiness. Understand what holiness is. He goes on and says, remember what you've been taught. He also says, remember the way in which you're supposed to live. And he says, oh, and don't forget also, you are a royal priesthood. He reminds them of their identity. He reminds them, hey, you were supposed to be set apart. You were supposed to be different than the world that you live in. Not go and hide away from the world that you live in, but instead go and be different because you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood in the midst of this world. I don't know about you. I don't know what kind of church background you grew up in, but I think there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of false teachings out there that say, run away from the world Come and stay here in your circle, and life will be okay, and you will have everything that you want and need. When we open up this book, you don't see that there. Nowhere does it say, retreat behind the walls and hide and wait for the coming of the good Lord. And while you're there, you can go and do this, this, and this. Instead, what we constantly see is there's a mission, there's a calling, there's something you were meant to go do. Go out and do it, Christian. Go out and do it, follower of Jesus. Go and do it together in community, not off by yourself like the Lone Ranger, but go and do so in the midst of community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Peter is trying to help lead them to. This is what Peter is trying to make sure that the Christians who are dispersed all across the region, all across the region and who are on their own, maybe they're in the small little pockets, little churches together of eight or ten, who knows, and he's just trying to encourage them. Endure, 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 and yes, you will suffer, but listen, suffering is part of the mission. And as you suffer, allow God to use it for his purpose, much like our servicemen and women who live their lives and are willing to lay down their lives for you and I, we are called to do the same thing in following Jesus. We are called to be different. We are called to live a different life for the sake of other people who don't yet know Jesus. 
So let's think about suffering here for a minute, and let's make sure we're all in the right mind frame, okay? Suffering is not whether or not I'll get my bonus check this year. I don't think I got it, or I didn't get the amount that I wanted. I'm suffering for the Lord, right? Suffering is not being able to be in the deer blind on opening day when it's raining, right? That it's not suffering for the Lord. Suffering for the Lord is not, I really want that F-350 hunter grain with a King Lariat edition leather package on the inside. That is not suffering that it's not sitting in my driveway right now, right? Suffering is not, there's no good Christian guys for me to date. Suffering is also not, there are no good Christian girls for me to date. That is not suffering. That's called reality, okay? You'll get through it. I promise. I promise you'll get through it. We'll pray. We're still praying. Uh, another thing of suffering, all right? This one is going to hurt a little bit. My political party didn't win. And now things aren't going to feel as good as they could feel. That's not suffering, according to what we see here in the text, Okay? But instead, suffering, as the early Christians would have understood it, this is what they would have been seeing, this is what they would have embraced as suffering when they heard that word. A ruler who burns us at the stakes if they find out that we profess Christ. A master who will beat us without cause because we say we follow Christ. A husband who's wayward and doesn't follow Jesus, yet as a wife, I'm called to still be with him. A wife who is wayward, who shows no honor or respect towards me as her husband, and who does not follow Jesus, but yet I'm called to remain. A community insults you for the fact that you are a Christ follower. They spit on you, they beguile you, they look at you, and they run you out of their own community because you're a Christ follower. And the last, I think, example that Peter tries to make sure that we walk away with is there is a lion roaming and roaring and waiting to pounce upon you because of your faith. This lion is our enemy. This lion is the devil. If you've ever watched National Geographic or Animal Planet or anything where there's animals on it, you ever been to the zoo, a lion doesn't necessarily, when it's stalking and wanting to eat, it doesn't prance around saying, I'm a lion, I'm here to devour you, please lay down and wait for me, here I come, big bad me. Sneaky, stealthy, as low as they can go, playing off of distractions and wanting and willing to jump whenever you are not paying attention. These are the sufferings. This is the way of suffering that we will face as followers of Jesus. Now, my goal today was not to have you leave depressed and downtrodden like, oh my gosh, what in the world? Because Peter doesn't leave us in that place. Peter says, listen, let's remind ourselves, let's be encouraged, let's be challenged to remember who and what Jesus has said, what he has done for the sake of us enduring into the future. So that was a really long intro. We're just getting started, folks. Open your Bible to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in verses uh, 18 all the way through to 25, and I want us to start off right here in verse 18. We're going to talk about some other fun stuff today. You ready? All right. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. Let's pause right there for a minute, and let's talk about the obvious thing. In Peter's day and age, in ancient time, bond servants, being a servant or being a slave was a very commonplace thing in the ancient world. 
Slavery came about through conquered people. It came about through uh, individuals who maybe they had too many gambling bets and they had to pay it off. And so what, they were, what, what happened was they were forced into servitude. Sometimes people willingly entered into this relationship as a servant or as a bond servant to say, I want to provide for my family. I'm not of the right social class in order to make any kind of money. However, what I will do is I will promise to serve you, the owner of this house. I will do these certain tasks for you so long as you allow my family to live here and we will be your servants for the next 30 years. Ancient texts uh, and other uh, historical references show us that bond servants were able to buy their freedom, uh, usually around the age 30, 35. Life expectancy for most human beings at that time was around 35 or 40. This servitude, this was something that was a normal thing for this community and for our context here. When we hear that word slavery, when we hear the word servant, oftentimes, just like me, our minds go to what we've experienced here in North America over the last several hundred years. That is enslavement. That is the uh, uh, enslavement that Paul talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1, or 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he says, to be an enslaver is the same as being as an adulterer. To enslave another human being, to kidnap them, to force them to do something for you against their will, to do all of these things, this is abhorrent to Jesus, this is abhorrent to God, it is not the way to be, you need to confess that sin and repent. Too often, this is a soapbox, okay, we got a long time together. Too often we take scriptures, we find one little verse and we say, let's build our whole theology and practice of our Christian faith on this one little verse. And what we failed to do is read the whole Bible, the whole book from Genesis to Revelation and say, what is, who is and what is the character of God and how does he direct us and how do things make sense according to this book? If we're going to be followers of Jesus, listen up, folks. We've got to be really good at knowing what God's word says. There's a reason why our church is called Woodside Bible Church because we want to make sure that this book is the guiding definition of what we do and how we do things and what we talk about, what we uh, don't condone, and also what we do condone and say, this is not okay, this is repulsive to God, and we say this is wrong and it must stop. Everything in North America, all of the abolitionists who fought for and through legal means and through other ways to say slavery must stop were what? Followers of Jesus. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., the list goes on. We must embrace the fact that the reality here for Peter is he's writing to people, Christians, who are servants for whatever reason, okay? They're servants for whatever reason. And I wrestled in, in looking at this sermon in this text, I wrestled with, do we try to translate this and make it make sense for us today of saying a boss and an employee, but folks, it really, the weight of this principle, the weight of this text is lost when we try to make it about a boss and an employer or an employee. We have to accept the fact that these Christians heard this word, you have a master, you are the servant, here is how you as that servant should behave. Not rise up and revolt and push against, but instead, what he says right here. So servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. I think we can think in, think in our minds the difference and the contrast between a gentle and good 
leader or master in an unjust one. I don't think I have to expound on that for you to have pictures and images in your mind of what that would look like. And Peter is telling these Christians, serve them, be subject to them. And here's the reason why you should do that. Look, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of other people. That's what he said just a few minutes ago. He goes on and he says in verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin, when you do something wrong, you're beaten for it? That's called discipline. If you do something wrong, you get disciplined for it. So what credit is it to you if that's what happens? But if you do good and you suffer for doing that good, and you endure that suffering, you endure that sorrow while suffering unjustly, that is a gracious thing in the eyes of the Lord. As believers, as followers, when suffering comes upon us, what we have to do is look for and find the grace in that suffering. We look for that grace and we say, where is it and what is it? How do I hold on to it to remember that God has grace in my life and that this is a gracious thing? It totally is contrast to our uh, society and our culture today, right? Think about it. Think about your own life. Think about people you know. You know, try to disconnect yourself if you need to, to, to understand and embrace this. We have a justice-oriented society, which is a wonderful, marvelous thing, Right? Everybody should say yes. Justice-oriented is a good thing. The problem is, is that because we're a justice-oriented society, we feel we have the right that anytime something is wrong, anytime something wrong is done towards us, we have the immediate right to respond and reciprocate. Because we are a justice-oriented society. You do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. You cut me out of that business deal, I'm going to cut you out of that business deal. You do this to me, I'm going to do that to you. I don't even know these people, but I see them over there doing stuff, and I'm going to speak my voice up because I have a keyboard, and I'm a keyboard warrior, and I'm going to tell them how terrible they are over there because somebody needs to call it out. We need to have some justice here. Peter, not fo- he's not worried. He's not focused about that right here. What else do we have as a society? We have this perspective that um, as we move forward in life, that uh, we're, we're, it's like we have a society of insecurities, I can't let these people say these things about this group of people, or I can't let you say this or think this way because it makes me insecure about my own identity of who I am. Therefore, I'm going to cancel you because I can't stand to be around you. We have a society of insecurity, a society of insecurity. We also have a society of social media. Social media has made a lot of you really, really, really brave online. You're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> if you're online, thank you for joining us. <laughs> but we have this society of social media where we say, I'm empowered because I don't have to see the person's face. And so I'm allowed to say whatever it is I feel, and I don't have to look at what it does to that individual's face. I don't have to see the person when, when I tear them down. I don't have to see this group of people when I voice my opinion. I don't have to be around them when I do something else. I told you it's going to be a long day, and I'm going to kind of ruffle your feathers, right? Because we're in this world of social media, what I'm going to choose to do now is rather than stay in the world and stay engaged with people because I don't like them, I'm going to leave and start my own social media group. 
and I'm going to be just with other people who think just like me. Because when I do that, I don't have to deal with those people. I don't have to deal with their thoughts. I don't have to deal with what their political beliefs or ideas are. Instead, I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be contained. I know things will never get censored in this place. This makes me feel good. Nowhere in Scripture, again, do we see Jesus call his followers, go and retreat and hide away from the world and just be with other Christians. Nowhere in Scriptures do we see the Apostle Paul, who planted churches all across the known Middle East today, nowhere do we see him say, go and be by yourself, separate from everybody else, build your church up on a hill and let everybody look up to you, and you guys just do your own thing. Nowhere do we see in Scripture from Peter saying, hey, go and be together and remove yourself from the world and get justice for where justice is due and do all of these other things. Instead, it's completely opposite. When mindful of God... When one endures while suffering unjustly, this is a gracious thing. This concept, this principle is not unique to Peter, right? Turn with me if you have your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, this is Jesus talking, okay? This is Jesus. If you love those who love you, we all like to be loved, right? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners... Love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies and do good and loan out, lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You are a royal priesthood. You are set apart. Embrace that. Live that so that as you endure suffering, you're able to find that grace and you're able to continue to move forward. So this is not necessarily the call to look around and say, okay, God, this will be a great week. Show me ways I can suffer this week. I can't wait to do this for you, Lord. It's going to be a wonderful, great thing. It's going to come already, whether you ask for it or not. The question is, do you embrace it or do you run from it? And when that suffering does come, we have to be reminded of the ways in which we're meant to embrace and endure that suffering. Because Peter doesn't just give us this depressing, downtrodden thought of like, hey, Christians, you will do good to suffer. He says, no, 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 no. You're going to suffer, but let's also look to the primary sufferer in this world who gave us the greatest example of how to suffer, and that is Jesus. Look with me back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called. What have you been called to? Suffer. Let's try it again. What have you been called to? Suffer, right? This is what you've been called to do, Christian. Because Christ also, what's the word there? suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Hey, wonderful. So glad that you came to know Jesus. We're so excited of this faith that you have, this newfound faith. We're going to baptize you today. This is so great. Oh, hey, by the way, here's your book to suffering. Well, we don't do that, do we? 
Maybe we should. You go back and you think about our veterans, our servicemen and women, when they enlist, when they sign up, right? It's not all of a sudden now they know everything and they can go and do everything. What happens to them? That the officers say, oh, this is really great. You want to sign up? That's really great. Let's send you to boot camp. And let's see if you actually have the medal to do this. Let's see if you can actually be trained enough to do this. So Christians, we're called to suffer. Jesus suffered in the, for us. He is our example. He is our way. If we want to be followers of him, we have to embrace that fact. How did he suffer? Look, Peter kind of walks us through and just reminds us of everything. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He never committed any sin. I don't, if you think about the life of Jesus, you think about his ministry, when he was walking around from town to town, village to village, he annoyed a lot of people. He was run out of a lot of towns. He was not good friends with the religious leaders there. They did not like him. But yet, he never sinned towards those people. And he could have. In anger, he could have done something. In his selfishness or his pride or arrogance, he could have done something. But he was perfect. He did none of that, even though he had every right to push back and say, I'm going to call down legions of angels right now and slay all of you. Why are you doing this to me? And he doesn't do that. He never lashed out, right? Look at verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Have you ever been reviled? When you've, been, when you've endured suffering, have you ever wanted to return the threat of suffering towards that person? Jesus gives us the ultimate example, and it's really hard to follow. Because I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus. You're sinful, just like I'm sinful. But God knows that. That's why he sent Jesus, to say, you can't do this by yourself. I will show you the example, and on him, I'm going to do something. And then after he returns from the dead... I'm going to send another one, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to guide you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to convict you. He's going to be that little voice in the back of your head that says, hey, I know this person in this situation is really, really terrible, but you should not respond in anger or arrogance or rudeness towards this person. Instead, be humble, be gracious. We heard last week from Pastor Chris there's a way to deal with people and there's a way to deal with things done against you. And we start with humility. Think about Jesus. This is one of the critics or one of the critiques that we hear from non-believers, that I've heard from non-believers. Jesus was a doormat. Don't make a shirt on that. Jesus was a doormat. He let people just walk all over him. He never did anything. Have you read the book? Have you read what Jesus said in return to all of those things? Every single time he was challenged, every single time people would try to do something, he knew immediately what to say. And oftentimes, what was he doing? He was quoting the scriptures against the religious leaders who knew the same scriptures. 
Oh, you think that? Oh, well, this is what it actually says, and here's what it actually means. Show me where I'm wrong. That's kind of the attitude I think Jesus may have had in some of those conversations. Even when he was challenged, he did not allow people to walk over him. He didn't allow things to go on. To be a Christian does not mean you are a weak person in the eyes of society. You're not weak to be a follower of Jesus. If anything, you're one of the strongest people, or you should be, because you should be willing to endure and take whatever the enemy throws at you, whatever these people throw at you, whatever other Christians throw at you in their words towards you. You should be willing to take it and receive it with humility and grace and have a word. There's a reason why Peter says, be prepared in season and out of season for the reason of your hope and your faith. Question is, how prepared are you? How prepared am I with what this book says? So Jesus never lashed out, never insulted, never threatened. And instead, what did he do? And look at verse 23. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly, meaning he entrusted himself to God the Father. How do we entrust ourselves to God the Father? Let's think about what God the Father did for you and I. Let's look at verses 24 through 25. Not only do we look to Jesus as the example of suffering and how we can suffer, but then we have to focus on the overseer of our souls. He himself, meaning Jesus, bore your sin on that tree so that you might die to sin and live in righteousness. By Jesus' wounds, his open, gaping, bloody painful wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying away. You walked away. You were a little ignorant, and you thought you knew which way to go. You strayed away. But now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul because of what he has done for you. Anybody a sheep farmer in the the room? No? Okay, again, go to National Geographic or Animal Planet, whatever. Sheep are not very smart. They're really not that smart. Sheep together, they're okay, because they'll just go around together. An individual sheep on its own, not very smart. A shepherd in ancient times would not sit in the middle of the sheep, sit crisscross applesauce, and pet the sheep and say, I love you guys so much. You are so great. You're so fluffy and wooly, and this is awesome. And you, you can go live your best life now, and it's going to be a wonderful thing, my little sheep. I love you. I love you. That's not what a shepherd does. A shepherd stands back so that the shepherd can see in all directions, so that a shepherd could know, hey, there's something over there. There's something over here. There's something over here. I see really good fields over there. I want to lead my sheep that way. So I'm going to take out my staff and I'm going to kind of start to hit them a little bit and get them to change direction. They'll stay together, but they need me to kind of help move them a little bit. There's one that walked away way over there. In ancient times, a shepherd would never let a sheep go astray because of the value of that one individual sheep. It brought clothing, it brought food, it brought all sorts of other things. So what would, that, what would that shepherd do? He would leave the flock there, and he would walk over to here. And he would grab that sheep and bring it back into the flock, sometimes having to use its staff. 
I don't know about you, I've been one of those sheep that walks away over this way. And I don't think Jesus gently like, oh, come back over here. No, he's like, he like hit me on the, over the head with the staff and said, wake up. Because you are set apart. You are a royal priesthood. You are my sheep. And I have a calling and expectation on your life. Go and live it. Go and live in righteousness. Go and sin no more. Go and be a follower and imitator of me for the sake, not of you, but for the sake of other people who have an eternity destined for them in hell because you have not said anything to them yet. I want to use you in your life. I want to use you in your mistakes. I want to use you, and this is the linchpin, I want to use you in your suffering for the sake of advancing the kingdom of God in this world. Right now, in our society, in our culture, in our context, we have a great opportunity to be great examples of how to endure things we don't like, how to endure suffering for the sake and cause of Jesus's mission and gospel being fulfilled. Our challenge and our question is, how are we going to do it? And are you ready to do it? We don't get to stay behind the walls anymore. We have to move out. We have to go forward. We have to be ready to engage in this world that so desperately needs to hear of the hope, the peace, the humility, and the love of Jesus. Again, my hope for you today wasn't that you would leave downtrodden or depressed, but instead that you would leave with an honest conversation about yourself and an honest evaluation of yourself. Are you enduring suffering right now? Again, it's not these trivial things that we deal with in our society. But are you truly suffering for the cause and sake of Jesus? Is there something or someone in your life where you say, I can't stand being around this person, but they are my family member. They have no idea who Jesus is, but yet I choose to still be with them because Jesus calls me to, and I want them to know the hope of the gospel. I can't stand the place where I work. I can't stand my coworkers. They're mean, they're hateful, they're vile. They make fun of Christians, they make fun of things, but yet rather than retreat and leave and go to someplace else, I'm gonna choose Jesus for you to give me strength to say, I will suffer and endure and do good for the sake of the kingdom. Or maybe you're in a situation, maybe you're in a position or relationship where there is real suffering and real enduring of hardship in front of you. You're not a doormat. In humility and grace, go and ask for help. Come with me, brothers and sisters in Christ. I need my community to help me in this situation, help me to walk through this, help me to understand how this can be and how it should not be any longer, and help us to remember the fact that God is the one who judges all people in all things. You don't usually try to end a time of, of challenge and inspiration by quoting movies like Rocky. But in that movie, Rocky's fighting Apollo Creed, and what happens? Apollo Creed wins and wins and wins and beats him down and beats him down and beats him down, but what does Rocky do? He gets back up every time. Just stay down. Stop fighting. That is what our world wants you, Christian, to stop. They want you to stop. They want you to sit down. They want you to be quiet. 
follower of Jesus, don't do that. Endure the suffering, endure the beatings that you have to for the sake of Jesus. Steve Rogers, the little guy who turns into Captain America, what happened for him? What was his issue? He never knew when to quit. And he was always willing to stand up, not because of his own strength or because of his own thing, but because he saw the value and need of other people and wanted to protect them. You, Christian, be inspired by things like that in the world and say, what a great picture, a glimpse of Jesus who endured all of these hard things for the sake of me. May I be so gracious, may I be so gifted and blessed to go and suffer and endure like Jesus for the sake of other people. May God use you in that way. May that blessing of suffering, may God use that in your life for the sake of other people. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.